Well, welcome, village. Um, greetings. Week two of the diaspora, the scattering. And it's just strange. There's only a handful of us in here keeping appropriate distances. And, um, but it's an opportunity for us to worship together and to study God's Word together. Again, as we're going through this and, and we have times where we are separate, be sure to be finding ways to intentionally connect. We keep talking about this and providing ways to do that because it is so important for us not to lose touch with the body of Christ. And so call someone and message someone. You know, you could even FaceTime someone, but some way connect and be sure we're checking up on each other. I have seen just such amazing things as I shared with my letter yesterday. I've seen just village stepping up to the plate. So thank you for that. As, as people are, are checking up on others and, and doing shopping for others and providing meals for others and just ways, especially to some of ours, some of our own that are family that are in the high risk category. We love you. We will take care of you. You are not alone. And so we will make sure that happens. Thank you for those that have volunteered to adopt someone in a high-risk category to help out with that. We still need a couple more people to do that, so email me, message me if you're able to do that. And it just means checking up on someone in a high-risk category a couple times a week, saying, are you okay, do you need anything, um, and just making sure they know that they're not alone. As we do this, Village, the world will see what the church is and who Jesus is. And so we want to keep doing that. I also want to mention one other thing. Thank you so much personally, and this is just a personal note for, for Susie and I, and especially Susie, thank you for your prayers this week. And ladies, you guys are amazing um, with, with the prayer list and making sure she was prayed for the entire day of her surgery. And since then, she is still in the hospital, but w- um, is doing well. Surgery was very successful. And so we praise God for that. Um, she's watching right now. So if you look to your side, well, I guess that doesn't really work like the Brady Bunch. But um, somehow she know that she is with us and watching today. But we, um, we are blessed by your faithfulness as a congregation. And um, you prove over and over what it means to be a church family, what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, to love others well. So thank you for that. Today we want to continue in First Thessalonians. And we are talking about how to minister to others, which is the section we were already on. As Paul is really defending his ministry, he had to leave quickly. And, and so the church at Thessalonica, they could have thought, well, he abandoned us. And he's like, no, that's not what ministry is about. It's not just preaching some sermon and leaving. Ministry is about lives knit together. And so he is showing by his example what ministry is like. Now remember, this is the the city that ran Paul out because he was a Christian. And the Jewish leaders there are just angry at Christians for coming together, quite frankly, because they're losing power. And when someone starts to lose power, they start to react like a cornered animal. And, and, And that's what's happening here. And so the church is under persecution. They've lost their founder. Well, he he's gone. Paul is gone. And They are trying to figure out how do we minister in difficult times. Paul had to minister in difficult times where he never knew when he'd be stoned or beaten or run out of town. And so this whole chapter, chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, is a beautiful description of what ministry looks like and in their context in a difficult time. And so I think it's so appropriate for us because we are to be ministering to others. I I saw an example of it this week, and I saw just part of it, but I got to read the rest of it online, which is sort of a cool thing. I was in the grocery store, and I had won the lottery that day. Well, not really, but I got toilet paper, so it's about the same. And so actually, toilet paper and the, the shredded cheese I like. And so I got everything I went for. And I'm checking out, and as I'm leaving, as I'm leaving, I see one of the workers confront this elderly gentleman and say, you can't buy all that. And I'm like, I, I don't know what the time. He, he didn't even have toilet paper. Um, turns out he had two cartons of what the, the worker thought was milk. And I didn't process this quick enough at the time because one of them was a little half gallon of milk, wasn't even a full gallon. The other one was a half gallon of almond chocolate milk. That's not milk. But, but oh, well, the, the worker is like, okay, you can't do that. And the gentleman was trying to process this. And, and I understood because I couldn't understand the worker. And as I'm walking out to, to Sue's in the car, I'm like, what just happened? And then I start to realize that they're limiting his milk. They think this is two things of milk. 
And, and by that time, it was all done inside. And, and so I, I ended up leaving. And I wish I could have done more. But I get online that afternoon. And, and on nextdoor.com, that elderly gentleman posted. And, and he posted. He said, this is what happened in the store. He said, but the guy behind me said, I'll take that one. And, and the guy behind him took the half gallon of chocolate milk, checked out. He was able to check out a little faster, didn't have a, as many things. And when the elderly gentleman got to the door as he was exiting, the, the, the person behind him handed him the chocolate milk. So this is for you. Tried to pay. The guy said, no, I'm not taking it. And, and it was a simple act of kindness that was impactful enough for this man to get on nextdoor.com, which is hard to navigate sometime anyway, and post his story. A simple act of ministry made a difference in that man's life. What if that was the church? Or, or people in the church. We are the church. What if that was us and we were so committed to ministry that we were going to find ways to minister to others that way? What kind of opportunities would that have for us to be a witness in our actions there, but then open the door for communication possibly? We have some tracks that we, we got that are dealing with virus or difficult times. And we have those in the office. They're in the rack right outside the office. So if you don't want to see us or breathe our air or anything, you can just grab one from the rack. But that would be a great time to then hand him a track and say, you know what? I did this because I care, and, and here's even better news for you. And so these are ministry opportunities that, that I saw this week that I, I regret I didn't participate in because I didn't realize what was happening quick enough, but someone else did, and it made a difference. And so we want to be looking for these ways to minister. And Paul is saying ministry is about getting our lives involved, about doing things like this and sharing the gospel. It's not one or the other. And so last week we looked at, at the first section of, of this area, 7 through 9, and Paul used the metaphor of a mom. And he said, okay, learn some things from ministry by how a mom cares for her children. And, and the, the points that we talked about last week were minister with gentleness and genuine care, or be gentle and caring. And gentleness is something for men and women. In fact, it's, it's strength under control. And it's, I would argue gentleness is a very manly word. And I, I know men are like, I don't want to be gentle. That's for the lady. No, no. There's a reason why we call certain men gentlemen. We don't often use the word gentlewoman. Because for a man to be gentle, it says something. It means something. And so minister with gentleness and genuine care. We saw last week to minister by genuinely loving and yearning for people. Yearning for others and thinking how can we help them and longing to help them. Last week, we talked about ministering the grace of the gospel, both with your words and by opening up your life. And he'll go into that a little bit more this week. And then finally, we, we talked about serving others sacrificially, with sacrificial devotion. If we're going to minister through this time, we've got to be selfless. If it's just about us and getting what we can and, and protecting our own family, then we're going to struggle to minister. But we have to be selfless at this time and find ways to get beyond our, our own comfort and to help others. So today we're going to look at verses 10 through 12. And he's going to switch metaphors here from, from how a mom treats her children to how a dad treats his children or should treat his children. And so we can learn a lot about ministry from this. As a dad, I learn a lot about this just how to be a good dad. And, and so that's valuable. Thank you very much. Water just appears. And so turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. We'll just look at three verses today. 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. If you're watching on live stream, open your Bibles. The notes are online on the, on the website. If you just go to the right side, which I guess this would be your right. If you go to the right column, you can download sermon notes. You can download the current worship folder. You can download both the, the pre-K, um, preschool, and the children's um, family pages. We invite you to use some of those resources. But turn to 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. And we're going to focus on the traits of fatherhood and how those relate to ministry, what we can learn from ministering to each other during this time, but to a lost world that is scared. And we may have opportunities, I keep saying this, but there are opportunities to share Christ now that weren't there two months ago. People are willing to hear. 
You can say, can I pray for you? And people will jump at that chance. And so we want to take these examples from the life of Paul and say, how can we apply them? So let's read 10 through 12. In the original, this was actually one large sentence, one chunk. Um, now you'll get graded down for that as a big run-on sentence, but this is one thought and one chunk. So starting at verse 10. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so Paul switches metaphors to dad here and gives us some ways that dad ministers that we can learn from. The first one out of verse 10 there is if we're to minister like dad, if we're to minister during difficult times, we have to openly have godly character. Openly have godly character. It's not enough to just have godly character in the confines of our own house. That's not going to be ministry. But to openly have godly character, to be a genuine example of godly character. Paul uses the word witnesses. Witnesses implies someone saw something. Right? It's hard to witness something you don't see. You don't go into court and they're like bringing in witnesses like, I didn't see anything. Sort of defeats. So Paul says, you are witnesses. You saw my life. You saw that I have a genuine, positive Christian testimony, that I have integrity. And so Paul here begins to describe another core of ministry that we have to openly have godly character, live our lives in front of people. He says, you are witnesses. That you there is plural. He, he's, he's emphasizing the plural there that you all are witnesses. You all saw how I lived. You of all people know what my life was like, he's saying. And then he goes on to say, you're witnesses and God also. And so he's, he's not only saying that they're witnesses, but he says God is a witness too. And that's, that's huge because God sees everything. You know, you all, we can, we can hide things from each other, right? What we do in private, we can hide. But Paul is saying, I was genuine in front of you, but I was genuine in front of God who sees all things, who knows all things. That's huge. That kind of integrity, that kind of consistency. Paul here is defending his ministry and exhibit one is his life. And that's challenging, right? That's challenging for us. Can exhibit one be our lives? If we say, I love you, I care about you, I want you to know Jesus. Can we say exhibit one is our life? Now, now, how could they know his life? How could he even say that? One of the things is he had to be with them. He had to be living life with them. And I just said the, the idea of openly, he was rubbing shoulders with them. He was working as a leather worker with them. There's nothing like working with someone 12 hours a day to find out some character. He was real. He was genuine. And I know that we like to put on masks and, 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 you know, if you're online, filters and just post the best pictures. But can we be real with each other? Can we see life with each other? And I would say right now, as families, we're, we're very real with each other. <laughs> as we're with each other 168 hours a, a week. Not, not a lot to hide and it brings out all kinds of things. But this is an opportunity for refinement. And this is an opportunity to show your testimony. Dads, this is an opportunity for you where your kids are seeing you more than they ever have. What are they seeing? What are they seeing? Are they seeing God? Are they seeing a trust in God? Are they seeing an active care for the family? Paul here is saying, I lived with you. I rubbed shoulders with you. Our children need to know we love God. They need to know that we need God's mercy. They need to know that we need God's forgiveness. They need to know that we need God during this time. And so we need to be praying with our family. We need to be, be showing that we depend on God, that we trust God, not just with our words, but with our actions right now. Now, for Paul even to say this, you are witnesses and God also, that you know, inviting people to look at his life. This, this takes guts. This is courageous to say, look at my life. Look at me. I have stayed true to God. Follow that. And so a, a lot of scholars take this whole section and say this defines integrity. 
because his words are matching his actions, right? When we think of someone with integrity, their words match their actions and both are right. Both are righteous and and true before God. And so this is a great definition of integrity, this verse, as we go on and break it down. And Paul then gives three things that he talks about, about integrity and about his witness. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Holy, righteous, and blameless. Now, I've seen all kinds of things with these words, and we could do all kinds of different points. And the, the, the best way, I think, to think of these words is they all overlap to give us one picture of a, of a character trait of integrity or of godly character. But they all give, give different aspects and different nuances of it. The word holy there means spiritually minded. Now, we think of holy as set apart, right? Set apart for God. God is set apart from us. This is actually a different word for holy here. It's sort of cool and and, um, stuff that we don't always see. This is the idea of how one acts before God. And the idea is the, the conduct or the actions that show that we love God. Think, if you think of this word for holy, think spiritual disciplines. Think reading your Bible and being in prayer and memorizing God's word, celebrating, remembering and celebrating what God has done. Those are all spiritual disciplines or acts of piety, some would call it. That's what this word represents. It's saying, you know that I acted in a way that was consistent with my faith. You know that I was in the word. You know that I I prayed. You know that I loved God. And so the word for holy here, think of your whole spiritual life. Think of your spiritual walk and the the actions that show that spiritual walk. The devout conduct. Now, I know those things can be faked. But again, Paul is is with integrity saying, this is what I say I believe. This is what I actually believe. And so this isn't fake. He's saying, I say I love God and my actions showed that. And so they saw him in prayer. They saw him going to the synagogue not forsaking the assembly. They saw him teaching the word. And and again, this is the section where Paul is transitioning to what a dad does. And dads, what we do in the home spiritually is the key to how our kids turn out walking with God. And a year ago, I shared a whole number of studies and there's, there's been other studies that show that if dad is practicing the faith, If dad is active in the church and going to church, if dad is reading the Bible, then the children, there is a much greater likelihood that they will follow God. Now, there's no guarantees. I know that. But don't we want to give our kids the best chance of following God? And dad, that's up to you. No, moms, that's not discounting you. But dad in their leadership has a special role in showing how Christian character and godly living gets passed on. So dads, take that seriously. I have almost never seen a dad playing the game of Christianity who has kids that walk with God. That's sobering. That's a gut check for me. As my, I long for my kids to love Jesus. I long for my kids to serve Him and to do that with their life. And so I better make sure I have integrity in how I live. Show them how I live and make sure it's showing them a godly life. So that's holy. The second word there is righteous. And the idea is, is doing the right things, living rightly. Now, the, the use of righteous here can, can have several different connotations. One is righteous before God, right? Following God's law. But it also has the connotation of following man's law or following government law. That's huge in a town where the church is being uh, oppressed and persecuted. And we know that we are to follow government as long as they don't defy what God has us do. And I know there's a lot of talk right now about that particular one with churches. How long do we not meet together? And we've chosen for now, for this time, to obey the government authorities over us. And so that's why you're all online in your living room, in your pajamas or whatever you are, watching with us. But it's because we've chosen to try to live rightly. And I know that different churches are making different decisions there. But as long as they're basing that spiritually and with conviction on what God would have them do. Now, will we do this forever? No. No, we won't. Because at some point we will get back together. 
and, and, and we will not neglect the assembling of ourselves together. But for now, it's appropriate to follow what government has said and to find ways to be together. In fact, I would encourage you, this is going to be weird, because usually I say don't do anything during a sermon. It's okay to type comments on the live stream. It's on Facebook or um, YouTube. We actually have pastors online that can answer things, like if you have a question or something. Be interactive. Let's take advantage of the medium. Let's, let's, let's be interactive here. And um, let's, let's find ways to be community while still acting rightly with our government. But this also means striving to measure up to God's standards. Do we measure what we do by God's standard, how we're living up to him? And Paul says, you know I was holy. You know my actions represented spirituality. But number two, you know I acted rightly. You know I obeyed government, but more importantly, I obeyed God. This is an important part of integrity as well. This is the direction of integrity. If so, someone's life could match their actions and be all about evil and disobedience and being a jerk, that's not integrity. Integrity is when your life matches your actions, but it's directed towards God's rightness. And that's what Paul is saying his example was. He openly had a godly character. And that changes how he ministers. It actually accentuates how he ministered. The last one there, blameless. Holy, righteous, and blameless. And and the thing about blameless, we can read that and say, well, I'm not sinless. I sinned this week. I would bet you sinned this week. And that does not exclude us from being blameless. The idea of blameless is to be above reproach or without cause for reproach. And it means they don't have anything to hold against him. Whatever sin was there, whatever things that that happened were taken care of, were confessed, and were forgiven. Once something's forgiven, we don't hold it against them. And and so there is nothing that can be against them. Think of borrowing money. If I was to to ask Justin here, because we have a couple people here from worship team. Thank you for being here. If I was to ask Justin, you know, I'd like to borrow $1,000. Ah, 10,000. You never know. And, and, and Justin just pulls out his wallet and gives me $10,000. Pretty cool. <laughs> Celeste is like, what? <laughs> he gives me $10,000. Now I owe him something, right? And, yeah. <laughs> and he has a claim against me. And, and so that is, that's a claim against you. That's not being blameless. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to borrow money, but I'm using the idea of claim to understand what he's saying. Now, when I pay that $10,000 back and just a couple extra thousand just for goodwill, um, now, does he have a claim against me anymore? No, and for him to hold a claim against me still would be just foolish. But that is settled, that is taken care of. That is what Paul is talking about when he talks about above reproach. No one has a claim against you. No one can say, well, he mistreated me and never took care of it. He spoke harsh words to me and never took care of it. Oh, moms and dads, we need to be thinking about this in our homes. Don't just let harsh words and angry words go because you're in authority. Be blameless with your children. Children that are listening, be blameless with your parents. If you disobey and get punished, it's still not taken care of. Go and ask forgiveness. Confess Ask forgiveness. Because at that point then, it becomes something that isn't held against you anymore. We need to realize the grace of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive us our sins fully, freely, and forever. And so if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, nine says. It's done. It's taken care of. No more claim if we confess, if we deal with it. If we don't, it's still a claim against you. We are not living a blameless life above reproach. And so Paul here says, one of the things, as a, with the dad metaphor, one of the things I did in ministry is I tried to openly have godly character. Openly have godly character. Now think about this in the situation we're in where we can't get together, but we're seeing neighbors outside six feet away or whatever it is, and we're seeing people in the grocery store, is this a chance for godly character to shine? I think so. 
because it'll make such a difference. It's a chance in, in several categories. One, that we're not freaking out and fearful because we know God's got this. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be careful. There's a difference between being careful and freaking out and being anxious and worrying. And just the fact that we don't worry and we trust God, that shows our character. Or things like the grocery store, when we step out and do things for others. Even when we do things within our own church, if we go and drop off groceries for someone in our church that's in the at-risk category, you think maybe the neighbors see that? They're all in their homes. Half of them are looking out their windows wishing they could go out. They're going to see that. And we can show our character at this time more than ever before. Difficult times provide a frame for the picture of godly character. The frame accentuates. The frame highlights it. And we have a chance to shine brightly in the darkest of times. And so let your character shine. In ministry, be consistent. Be above reproach. But make sure that we are we are living life among people and ministering to people where they can see that. And so Paul here says, know our character. Your witnesses, God is too, that our character was right before you. Next point in the next two verses is we need to challenge others to walk worthy of God. Challenge others to walk worthy of God. And this is where Paul really dives into the dad metaphor and what's happening with dads. And, 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 this is challenging others like dads would, like dads would instruct. I knew in situations growing up when I was wondering what to do or when I, when I did the wrong thing, I knew dad would be there to instruct. Sometimes to discipline when I needed it. But he would be there with advice. He would be there with correction. He was really guiding the ship of our family and the direction it would go. And that is what what Paul is talking about here when he says in verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And I love these verses and the idea of exhorting and encouraging and charging because it's like, yeah, let's do this. And that's what a dad does when he casts vision for the family. When he casts vision for each of his kids, he inspires them to do more and to walk with God. And Paul is saying, that's how ministry should be. You know that that's what we did, he said, like a father with his children. And so this point is challenge others to walk worthy of God. See, he viewed himself as a spiritual dad. And he uses this language elsewhere in the New Testament, right? The family metaphor is the most used metaphor in the New Testament for the church. And Paul uses that for others that he's brought to Christ. In 1 Corinthians 4.15, I think we can put this on the screen. For though you have had, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And he's referring to he brought them to Christ. And he uses this idea of father to say there's more, there's more of a commitment in ministry than just preach the word, see ya. There's a commitment of being dad and instructing and bringing along. In Philemon 10, where he's arguing on behalf of Onesimus, the slave that had run away, met Paul, accepted the Lord, and is like, oh no, what should I do? Because he could be killed for that. And Paul writes back to, to, um, to Philemon and appeals for Onesimus, who's also a believer, I appeal to you for my child in Philemon 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. And again, it's referring to a spiritual father. So this, this concept of being a dad and a spiritual dad just infiltrates Paul. There's all kinds of other. He did this with Timothy and we see this in other examples. And so Paul knows full well how to be a spiritual dad to people. And he says, for you know how like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you. Catch that phrase, each one of you. I would underline that. This again gives us ministry input and, and dad input here. <clears throat> the, the wording for each one of you actually is accentuated. There's an extra Greek word in there that basically says each and every one of you, each of you individually. And, and the idea here is as a dad, a good father knows that his kids are different, right? 
You can't parent all of your kids the exact same way. They're different creatures in bizarre and strange ways. Sorry, guys. Uh, We all are. And so it's saying, like a dad who knows each of his children, knows their strengths, I know that there's different ways I can talk to each of my children that will bring them into the truth. There's different ways of talking to my children that will motivate them. To some, it might be, let's do this, come on, and a little bit like, like a coach. To others, it might be more compassion and coming alongside. Paul says, know that. Know that when you're ministering. As a dad knows that, he says, I did that with you. Each and every one of you, I did these things and tailored these things for who you are. The huge lesson on his dad's, do we know our kids? Do we know our kids to be able to do this? Sometimes we're gone so much, I know, and we're at work, and we're so busy when we get home that we forget to know our kids. But if we're to instruct them well, we need to know them well. Because I know families are watching right now in your living room or wherever you're watching. Dads, turn to your kids. I know this is sort of silly, but just work with me here. I want you to ask each of your kids what their favorite pizza topping is. Take a moment, do that. You got that one right? Pineapple? See, I know one of my kids likes pineapple. One of my kids thinks the devil created pineapple on pizza. (laughs) Who's raising? I know my kids well enough. Perhaps while Susie's in the hospital, we're doing more pizza. But um, (laughs) I know that stuffed crust pepperoni from Little Caesars is a winner all the way across the board in my family. Um, Do you know your kids? I know that's a silly example. But dads and moms, do we know what makes their hearts tick? Do we know what makes them sad, what makes them happy? Paul says, we knew each one of you. But it wasn't just to know them, it was to, to drive them to Jesus. It was to point them to how to live to Jesus. And so he gives three things in this verse too. Exhort, encourage, and charge. And, and, and those are the things that we'll look through. Exhort, encourage, and charge. The first one, exhort, is to give words that spur in the right direction. Some of your translations will translate this encourage. And and the idea is, and we've talked about this, parakaleo, is to come alongside someone and take them by the arm and lead them in the right direction. and, And the idea for exhort here is to use positive words to spur them in the direction they should go. One one um commentaries have strong positive appeals. But I think about that. If someone's struggling to walk a little bit, you take their arm, you're lifting them up a little bit. That's the encouraging side. But then you're directing where they should go. That's the exhorting side. And Paul said, this is what we did for you. Each one of you differently. We knew you, but we exhorted you. We drove you to the truth. With exhort, maybe think of the word instruction here. Training and instructing. And in ministry, we're to be pointing people to the path they should go. This goes back to last week where we said, is our, are our lives more important or our words? Yes. Yes. Two wings on an airplane. Without either one, it crashes. And, and here again, he says, the, the first point is about our lives, openly having godly character. This one is, now do something with it. Challenge others to walk worthy of God. And so this is an encouragement that says, let's do this. You can trust God. You can walk with God. You know, how it looks at this time with people around us is using our words to say, you know what, we can trust God. You don't have to worry through this. Don't worry. God loves you. This will pass. He knows what he's doing. And I will walk with you through this. What if you did that with your unbelieving neighbor or coworker? And just started checking on them every day, using that help card. And saying, yeah, I'd like to help. Any, anything you need, let me know. You think that might make a difference in whether they come to Christ? It could. What we do during this time, during this temporary time, could have eternal ramifications if we take advantage of it. If we use this for God's glory. And so exhort one another. Point them in the right direction. The second word there is encourage. And, and there's overlap, of course, between exhorting and encouraging, but it, it's a different word here that's used more for comfort, for comforting someone that's faint-hearted, comforting, comforting someone that's having a hard time. 
that um, it's sometimes used in bereavement, someone that's lost a family member coming alongside. Now, when someone's lost a family member and they're in tears and they're weeping, that's not necessarily the time to say, you should have joy. Come on, buck up. Let's go. Let's get back to life. No, that's the time to weep with them. To weep with those who weep. And to put our arms around them and say, I love you. And God loves you. It's going to be okay as we walk through this. That's the idea of comfort here. Of encourage. It's the idea of, of coming to those that are having a hard time. Now again, you've got you've to know each person that you're ministering to to know if they're having a hard time. If you never talk to your neighbor, you don't know if they're having a hard time. If we never talk to each other, even though we can't be together, we don't know if we're having a hard time. So how can we comfort each other if we're not talking to each other and involved in each other's lives? This is a huge opportunity here. One of the things that, that as we, we talk in pastor circle and advice is given to pastors for things like hospital visits and, and visiting people in, in difficult times, sometimes they say, don't say anything. Just be there. Just be there and pray. Maybe share a verse if they know Jesus. But just pray. I can remember one situation here where a, a family lost um, their father. And we just sat for a couple hours in silence. And I was a young pastor at the time thinking I should have wonderful words of wisdom. And I had nothing. The only thing I could do is just sit with him. But that was enough. That was comforting. And we shared a couple of verses. That's what we're called to do in ministry. Interestingly enough, this is the context, Paul said, of what a dad should do for his kids. Dads, do we comfort our kids? Or do we leave that to mom? A word of understanding from dad. Hey, son, I know what you're going through. I know it's hard. I'm with you. My daughter, I love you. I know this time is difficult. My love for you will never change. Those are powerful words from a dad. Those are powerful words in ministry. Let's learn from what we want from our dads, what we should be as dads, and apply that to ministering to others. God does this. God's described this way. In Psalm 103, 13 and 14, we read, As a father shows compassion to his children. This is the same idea. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Do you see those same concepts in there? He knows us. He knows each of us. He knows our weaknesses. He knows that we're just humans and frail. And so he has compassion on us and knows how to care for us. The fact that God Almighty, who created everything, who is all-powerful, would know me well enough to have compassion on me? That's mind-blowing. That's pretty cool. Right now, when you're sitting at home this week, when you're just hoping you can get out of the house, God knows you. He knows your frailty. He knows the fears. And He has compassion on you. What a wonderful promise. That's what we're called to show to others here. So Paul says, like a dad to each one of you, I exhort you, I encourage you. And then the third one is, I charge you. He, he charged them or he urged them. He inspired them to the right action. This is leadership, guys. This is casting vision and, and helping our kids have vision. In ministry, it's helping others see what could happen for God. He's imploring them to walk in a manner worthy of God. You can live a godly life. You can do it. Let's get up and do it. Even when they fall, say, okay, let's confess that. Don't stop trying. And we keep urging them on to walking with God. He's discipling them is what he's saying. He's saying, I urged you to walk in a manner worthy of God or appropriate to the dignity and standards of God. <laughs> okay, we can never fully get there this side of eternity, right? But we are to be striving for that. And a dad, it, dad is often the one that encouraged people to, do, to go further. Um, in sports, I, I watch dad in sports. Two of my, actually all three of my kids play sports. 
my natural tendency is like, get back on the court. Play harder. You can do this. And, and take their strengths and say, okay, now drive to the hoop. Do this. That's something a dad brings to the table that is important. Village, you can walk with God. I don't care if you failed at it this week. Confess that. Get back up and let's try again. You can do this. Drive the hoop. You can open your Bible. You can start reading this week. doesn't matter whether you did last week. Catch the rooted on lines and open your Bible and study those. It's a way for us to connect and be in God's Word. But we can do this. You can minister in this time. Even though it's hard. Even though there's financial concerns. Even though there's, there's job concerns and everything else going on in our heads. We can minister because you can live in a manner worthy of God. I know you can and I challenge you to. I love the wording even of walk in a manner worthy of God. He doesn't say run in a manner worthy of God or sprint or jump. He says walk. And the idea of walking is a a steady progress. It's a steady progress in the right direction. He knows that they're not going to arrive in day one. You don't become the most mature Christian in the world in one day. Quite frankly, you don't in 40 years either. There's always more to learn. And as we steadily move forward, sometimes unspectacularly, it's just daily being faithful to God. Everyday life, asking, how can I live for God today? I'm going to ignore whether I I, I was a failure yesterday or whether it was a good day. How can I live for God today? Can I remember to read the word? Can I remember to love someone? To minister to someone today? We can't just sit on the couch during this time. No matter what the government says. Don't just sit on the couch. I'm not saying go violate the, the rules. But find ways within what we can do to minister to each other, to be active, to walk in a manner worthy of God. One of the other things is this idea of charging you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Paul is taking responsibility for the spiritual growth in those he's around. There's a responsibility in community. I'm responsible to you all for helping you grow spiritually. But you know what? It goes both ways. You're responsible to me to help me grow spiritually. As iron sharpens iron, so we sharpen each other. And Paul here is a wonderful example of taking responsibility for that. We don't just come, well, don't come right now, but when we, when we get back together, don't just come sit there and walk out. That's not taking responsibility for the body. Don't just sit in your neighborhoods and not take responsibility for the spiritual well-being of your neighbors. Do you see how Paul's charging them? This is exciting. This is like, let's get out and do something great for God and see what he does. I love this. But that won't happen if we just sit and wait. And do nothing. Let's challenge each other to grow with Christ. Let's challenge those that don't know Christ to know know Him and to love Him. This is the time they need to know that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. That He sacrificed Himself to pay the price for the junk in our own lives where we've walked away from God, where we have separated ourselves from God. And and Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty for those actions, to take the consequences, if we will believe, if we will turn to Him. That's a message that, that people that don't know Christ need to hear. It's the best news in the world. Better than any antidote, better than any vaccine. This is the cure for sin. For, for life, eternal life versus eternal death. That's what we're charged with taking up the cause for, taking up the cause here. And so while we're to minister in a gentle way, this is the balance of it's also a firm way, adhering to truth. And we have to hold both of those in our hands as we minister to people to, to be gentle, but to be true to the truth. And if we let go of either one of those, ministry is a failure. And parenting is a failure, quite frankly. Last, last point. And this comes from the last phrase of verse 12, where he says, I charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And the last point is remember your calling. If you're to minister well in difficult times, you've got to remember your calling. If you're focused on the difficult times, it's these blinders that go like this instead of being focused on your calling. 
And Paul ends his description of ministry here and how we should minister by saying, God called you into his own kingdom and in his glory. Again, he's using the plural. God called you all. He's speaking to believers in a church. And what's interesting is sometimes Paul often used, he called you into this. This is one of the few times he uses a present participle for English buffs. And those of you studying English in your homes every day, which is really cool right now. He calls you, the present participle means he's calling you right now. Participles usually we should translate as with an ing ending. Walking versus walk. It's, it's more action, right? And it's ongoing. And in this case, it's God is calling you right now. And Paul's reminding them, you're, you're called by God, but God is calling you right now for this time to minister, to follow him, to walk in a manner worthy of him. And he says he calls you into his own kingdom. And we sometimes don't understand kingdom. We can think Lord of the Rings or whatever. But kingdom is, is really God's rule in visible action. So God's rule in the hearts of his people right now, that's visible. He hasn't destroyed all of his enemies yet, and that's coming. And so that's the already and the not yet. The already is God is reigning and ruling in our hearts. That's his kingdom. You and I are his kingdom right now. Where he rules, his rule in visible action is his kingdom. Eventually, he's going to stamp out evil and sickness and disease, and that's all going to be gone, and he will reign as king actively and visibly over all elements in eternity. And that's the not yet. We're waiting for that day. And it says you're already called to be part of the kingdom. You're already called to act like you're citizens of God's family rather than this earth. And so Paul is calling them to a bigger purpose of God's glory here. He's calling them to remember more important things. This isn't all there is. This isn't your home, guys. Your home is in the kingdom of God, so let's act like it. We can take risks. We can reach out. We can minister to people. And then he says, call you into his own kingdom and glory. And we know that God is working all things together for his glory, for our ultimate good and his glory. He is acting. COVID, eventually God's going to use this for his glory. I would say he already is by lives that are being touched. Satan intends it for evil in this fallen, broken Genesis 3 world. And God's like, ha, I can turn that around. And he uses it for his glory. And he asks his people to be part of that. The great reversal, like we talked about in Esther. And so we're called to use, to find ways to use difficult situations for the glory of God. One of the things is just get up every morning and say, how's God using this? How is God using this for his glory? And look for things throughout the day. Look for ways God is using it. This is part of our theme this year of remembering what God is doing, noticing what God is doing, and celebrating it. But also asking ourselves the question, how can I be part of that? How can I increase God's reputation during a difficult time? I don't know what that looks like for each of us. It's going to be different in our circumstances The village, are you with me? Can we say, how can I be part of God using this to build his reputation? Look for ways at grocery stores. Look for ways while you're driving. Look for ways with your neighbors. Look for ways within the church. I'm seeing people just really step up to minister to each other in the church. That's increasing God's glory, his reputation. And so Paul here implores others to be part of the kingdom of God, which can only happen through a faith in Jesus Christ. But if you've believed in Jesus Christ, you are part of the kingdom. You are expanding the kingdom. So three things, Paul says, as he thinks about dads. Number one, openly live a life of godly character. Number two, challenge others to walk with God, walk worthy of God. And three, remember your calling. Remember the bigger purpose. That keeps us going when we don't even want to get up and wake up and get out of bed. Because, hey, it's only an online meeting anyway. How are you living? Can you point people to your life? Can you call everyone else around you as witnesses to your character? That's a scary one. Are you challenging people to live for God or are you just existing in life? Oh, this passage gives us purpose. It gives us reason for for going on. 
I want to leave you with a challenge this week, just a real practical challenge in light of our circumstances. Find a way to do at least one random act of kindness this week. One random act of kindness. It can be to a stranger in a store. It can be to someone at village, someone you know. It can be to a family member, a neighbor. But find a way that we can get up off the couch and to start to remember our calling and to, to urge and implore us to take action to start to show people that Jesus loves them. So this, is the, this isn't all you should do, but just a simple challenge, a random act of kindness this week. And let's see what happens. You know, sometimes I hesitate having you share things like this because it, it can look like bragging. Well, I did this. But then there's also the case where Scripture has us encourage each other with, with what God is doing. And so, so if you post something that you've done, don't post, well, yeah, you know, I, I saw this and it was really cool because, yeah, I'm godly. No, post, this is what God did in this situation. This is how God asked me to get out of my comfort zone. And he blessed it. And in doing that, we encourage each other. So I challenge you, random act of kindness this week. How are you going to minister like that? Encourage, exhort, urge people to follow Christ. How are you going to be about the mission of God's glory? You know, I, I think of this this very personally. And, and I, I end with this, knowing that I am not perfect at this. But I end by saying this, village. You've seen me for 31 years now. I hope you know my life. I hope you know that I love you and I'm ministering and I'm here because there is no place I would rather be than with you. But in light of that, I encourage you to walk with God to walk worthy of God, to step out and to, to follow the example of those that are leading and to do great things for God. And a great thing might be mowing your neighbor's lawn because God uses even our smallest efforts in great ways. And I challenge you to remember your calling as I hope you've seen the leadership of here do to say we're about God's glory. So I talk to you as your spiritual father. Even though I'm younger than half of you, how are you going to use this for God? How are you going to minister well in difficult times? How are you going to show compassion and urge people to walk with God? Let's do this this week. We can do this. You can do this. I can do this. Let's do this together. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of a godly man like Paul who by his life showed what it meant to walk with you. Not to be perfect, but also to be forgiven, but to be passionate for you and passionate for saying, I will serve God. And Lord, help us to follow that example and to passionately serve you and to passionately show your glory to a world around us that is so hurting right now. Lord, I pray that every person watching right now and every person at Village, you would give an opportunity this week to show your love to somebody and to show your glory to somebody. Lord, help us to move out and mobilize and be used by you during this time. I'm excited to see what you're going to do. Thank you for this body who loves you and serves you in so many ways. In Jesus' name, amen.